Liverpool 3 0. Call it, take it quickly, Origi! Yeah! Hello and welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. This week I'm joined by James and Max as we look to dissect all the week's LFC news. How are we doing, chaps? Slightly depressed. Not too bad but, yourself. You know. <laughs> yeah, I think we're all feeling a little bit downbeat and downtrodden at the moment, given the fortunes on the pitch. But hopefully we're here to inject some positivity into proceedings. I feel like I'm saying that on a weekly basis at the moment. Every week I'm starting the show by saying <laughs> bring you some positivity. So let's see what we can do. There's only one place we can start, really. We talked about the derby and how massive it was this season on last week's show. It was a 2-0 defeat. Everton's first one at Anfield since the 90s. When is this rut going to end, James? Uh, I don't know when it's going to end, um, but it needs to end sooner rather than later. The games are running out now. There's only 14 games left, and everyone else around us seem, still seems to be picking points up, and we seem to be letting them go. So it, it just needs to end sooner rather than later. Yeah, um, <laughs> I wish I could say that I know when it will end, <laughs> but um, I, I honestly don't. I, I think that, and I think we can go into this in more depth later, but I think that our system works brilliantly when everyone's fit, but I think we are now doing the old thing of uh, the ultimate side of madness is to... Um, make the same mistakes over and over again and expect different results and something needs to change because if it doesn't we're just gonna keep hitting the same robots over and over and over again and it just i i think more than the losses i think how similar the losses are is what's driving me nuts 100 100 agree and let's just let's talk about that in a little bit more depth then now you've now you've mentioned it do we need do liverpool need a plan b for you know maybe not long term but now until the end of the season try a different formation try a different system because whatever is going on has clearly not been working for a number of weeks or months now and usually you'd say you know the best teams in world football you don't they never they very very rarely change the system if you look at you know the best teams over the last 10 years in the prep whether that's in the premier league or in europe they stick to their system and the personnel fit around it that's how they're successful but given the amount of injuries Liverpool have currently got, given the poor form they're in, is it worth trying something that's completely new, James? Yeah, I don't, but I don't think it's a case of trying something completely new. I think it's just a case of just trying something a little bit different. So I think, obviously, there's been pundits talk about it this week of maybe Liverpool going to a 4-2-3-1, try and get an extra creative player on the pitch, and hopefully that helps the forward players. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, I wouldn't go away from what they've done because obviously they've been doing it for about four years now, four and a half years under Klopp. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say rip up the book and, and start again, especially halfway through a season. Um, but maybe just tinkering one position or slightly changing the formation because we did the diamond against West Ham away from home and that worked really well. The team seemed to cope with playing that diamond, but um, yeah, they've got to come up with something quickly. I think... Um... Ironically, I think a system that would actually work pretty well for Liverpool is what has worked beautifully for uh, Takumi Minamino. Um, Klopp's played it a couple of times. In fact, he played it against West Ham. I can't remember which season, but I distinctly remember him playing it. The 4-2-2-2 with yeah. two strikers, two sort of wide-ish attacking mids, and then two midfielders, one acting as a proper six and the other one pushing a little bit forward as an eight. 
something that suits the players we have um, would allow Mane and Salah to both be able to stay high, suits Oxlade Chamberlain now that he's fit, Diogo Jota fits that, Roberto Firmino can drop off and make it into a four a four four one one out of possession. I just think that it adds a lot more flexibility than what we've got in the four three three right now. And we've spoken about Bobby and before, and he in in this system when teams are dropping back and they're just letting us come and and um and they have the ability to press high because we don't have balls going over the top. Bobby's usefulness in terms of trying to drag defenders out of position is seriously limited and the guy cannot shoot this season he just can't shoot yeah there was a couple of times I think in the Everton game obviously they scored really early but one or two occasions where the ball falls to Bobby outside the box on the edge of the box and he's hit them first time or he took a touch and hit it straight away and you just know as a fan that unfortunately he's not going to hit the back of the net at the moment it's Firmino's fantastic at so many things that, you know, goal scoring's always been a kind of a question mark about him, but we've kind of, I wouldn't say let him get away with it, but we've kind of overlooked it because of his importance in the overall system and how he gets the best out of, you know, starting the press and how he helps get Salah and Mane into play. But I don't want to jump the gun and sound too reactionary, but maybe this summer... Do we need to start looking at long-term replacing him as the focal point, number nine, whatever you want to call it, in that attack? Do we need to look at bringing someone else in who can do that role? Yeah, I think, obviously, the two the positions we need to strengthen is at the back and, and definitely up front. I think with Firmino, his, his numbers have just declined season by season, but it's not a steady decline where he's maybe two or three goals down less on a year. It's a massive dip in between his goals and like he said in the Everton game, he's hitting shots first time on the edge of the box. But the Michael Keane block, where he takes a touch where he doesn't need to, that's the one where you hit first time, yeah. but he takes a touch. And then the ones outside the box, he doesn't take a touch and he tries to hit it first time. And it's just, I think, you know, you look at all the top sides in Europe this season, you know, Lewandowski, Haaland for, for Bayern Munich and Dortmund and Benzema at Madrid, they're all still scoring goals. Um, and like I said, his numbers have just dro- dropped too dramatically for me at the moment. For his last um, three seasons um, in the Premier League, Bobby has been underperforming his expected goals, which basically, it, it doesn't tell the full story. There are different elements to it, but basically he's scoring fewer goals than he would be expected to from the chances that he has had. Yeah. And the really worrying thing is, is that he is um, getting further and further behind that expected goals total by season. So in 2018-19, Bobby scored 12 goals from and expected 13. The next season also had an expected goals of 13, but he scored nine. And this season he scored six from an expected 9.8 goals. His finishing is deteriorating rapidly. And he's still very good positionally. He's still very good at dragging defenders around. But the problem is, if a, if a team is coached to stay deep, stay in the block, it's a lot harder for Bobby to move them around and to make those runs. He's not someone who plays off the shoulder 
or makes those quick one twos all the time. He's someone who likes to try and create space for others. And I think if Liverpool are going to move forward, they need a point man. They need a striker. And it's not going to be Kylian Mbappe. It's not going to be Erling Haaland. We are not going to be seeing FSG spend 100 plus, maybe 150 plus million pounds on a striker. I hate to be the negative Nancy here, but it it is fantasy that Liverpool will sign any of them. There are plenty of good forwards, not as good as them, but there are plenty of good forwards who I'm sure Liverpool would snap up who've got really good records. And this, those, when you put it like that, those kind of the decline in those numbers you made, like, I guess that's been masked by Liverpool's success, particularly over the last two seasons. But what, what do we put that down to exactly? Because he's not doesn't seem to be doing anything different, but it just seems that he's not hitting the back of the net where he's expected to, or his overall influence in the game isn't there. I guess it's more stark and more obvious now because we're going through a fallow period. But why do we think that's happening? I think his intensity's dropped off a little bit. I think, you know, you look back over the, especially the first couple of seasons under Klopp where he'd start the press, he'd win the ball back, he'd be in the attacking areas. But now he's, he's sort of, he's not, up there with Mane and Salah up the pitch. Sometimes he's dropping down into centre midfield or just yeah. in front of the halfway line and trying to, you know, either knock it round to Salah, knock it round to Fermane. So I think he's dropping deeper and deeper. And obviously that's taken him away from the goal. And that's I think that's where the numbers have declined from. I think part of the issue as well is um is confidence. Like when when Bobby was at his peak was um, in the 2017-18 season for Liverpool. As far as goals are concerned, he had an expected goals of 11 and he scored 15 goals. Um, He was playing with confidence. He was fresh and new to the team. It might just be that he has been relied upon so heavily in such an intensive system, and he is such he is a player with such an intense style of play. He leads the press. He might have just burned out, and when you're tired, you snatch at chances, you miss shots. It's what it's what happens. And I hate to say it because I've been an ardent defender of uh, Bobby Firmino, but I. <sighs> I think the time of him starting for Liverpool has got to start winding down, especially with Diogo Jota in the wings. Well, that's what we're going to go on to now as well, because now Diogo Jota's back in training as of today at time of recording. We've seen some great images of him out there um, at Kirby with the lads back in team training for the first time in 11 weeks, which is such a long time. We need him more than ever, really, given our run of form, but... Can we expect him to, obviously he's not going to, we wouldn't imagine him to go straight into the team for the weekend, for example, but we really need him to kind of come back in and hit the ground running like he did in August, don't we, James? Yeah, 100%. I think he was a breath of fresh air when he came in. You know, he's offered something completely different to Origi coming on. You know, when Liverpool have been chasing goals, I think you look at the West Ham game, he came on. The Arsenal game, he came on and grabbed the goal as well. So I think, you know, before... When he scored that hat-trick against Atalanta and just before the City game, we were all talking about him replacing Roberto Firmino as Liverpool's new lead in the line. And you know, he's he got nine goals in 18 games, 18 games in all competitions. Half of them were coming off the bench. So yeah, I think I think it's vital that we get him back in that team. And I think it going back to what we said before, maybe Liverpool trying 
the 4-2-3-1, I think he would slot into that perfectly as maybe playing on either side of the wing or as the focal point of that of that attack. But just glad to see him back. Yeah, I I, I think the 4 2 3 one's a way to go. It's also a way to include Bobby and take some of the goal-scoring pressure off him if he's playing slightly deeper as a number 10. Um, even though, to be perfectly honest, I... I think if Jota comes back, I would actually not mind seeing um, Naby Keita, if he is fit, as he is supposed to be now, come in. Because he's one of the few midfielders who, he breaks down a block in a different way to how Thiago usually does. Thiago's the guy who will sit deep and play the, God, I hate the term, but play the quarterback role um, and, and pass from deep. And he'll look for that final pass. Whereas... Nabi, what Nabi's great at is breaking from deep and playing that one-two and breaking up a low block for yeah. a run more than a pass. And we don't have many players who are willing to do that. And we've seen that Diogo Jota likes to do it as well. So I would get them both straight back into the team, whether that's playing Nabi as a 10 um, in a 4-2-3-1 or playing Nabi um, as an 8 Um I, I think is absolutely crucial. I think getting Jota in will also be great because we've got too many players who want the ball to feet, not who are going to run in behind. And I think with Cater and Jota, you bring a bit more danger um, to um, teams who have space um, in behind their back line. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the main well, big criticisms that's been levelled at Liverpool in this recent run of form is how kind of the tempos are kind of decreased and how each attack we're taking so many touches around the opposition box and the opposition's half rather than this kind of, you know, heavy metal football that Liverpool were famous for in the last two or three years. Counter-attacking quickly, getting, you know, going past people, quick passes, quick feet. It's all kind of been a bit more pedestrian um, in the last kind of few months. I think that's played a big part in the negative results we're seeing. One man who I think has been quite unfairly labelled as maybe a cause of this... I would say it's more an effect of the other problems at Liverpool, but this Thiago, obviously he came in with a lot of kind of expectation because he's played for two of the best teams in the world and he's won a lot. He's, you know, he just got man in the match in the Champions League final in his last game for Bayern Munich. So we know how quality he is. A few pundits have kind of lazily linked Liverpool's poor form with, you know, him going into that midfield. And because he's maybe a little bit different to what Liverpool's midfield has looked like, over the last two or three years in terms of what he's technically good at. What do we think of this kind of conundrum that we're being faced with with Thiago? Do we think it's just a, you know, another cause of the injuries that Liverpool have got that like he's not been able to play in, you know, Liverpool's best midfield at all this season? Yeah, I think it's exactly that. It's not, it's not the fact that he hasn't played in Liverpool's best midfield this season. He hasn't played in Liverpool's best team this season. Yeah. Um, you know, it's... Any play, any midfielder would have come into this Liverpool this team this season and have struggled because of what's gone on. So it's not so much him having a bad impact on the team. I just think it's it's just the wrong time he's come in. He could have come in last season and he would have been absolutely brilliant. But because he's come in this season with this amount of injuries, it it yeah it sort of doesn't look good because we all spoke about him being this wonderful midfielder and then as soon as a couple of bad performances. Other fans start jumping on it, saying, "Oh, what's so special about him? He only passes it sideways and backwards." So, I just think he's been unfortunate so far. Yeah, I agree on that. Um, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that his first two 
appearances of the season against Chelsea and against Everton, uh, he played in uh, midfield with Henderson and Fabinho, and he produced man of the match performances in both of those um, in both of those matches. He he was not signed to be a Jordan Henderson type number eight, which he has had to have been. Yeah. He, he has to do at the moment. He wasn't signed to press. He wasn't signed to make tackles, which he cannot do. He's like Paul Scholes in that regard. Yeah, really um, <laughs> uh, what he was signed to do was to be the creative option through the middle of the park to make us less predictable offensively. But with the loss of Henderson and Fabinho to the midfield, that has completely unbalanced it and meant that Thiago has to do more defensive work. And that means he is often too deep and that means that he is having to do the sideways and the backways and backwards passes and not getting high up the pitch where he is better. Um, yeah, I think that as soon as you see Fabinho in particular come back into Liverpool's midfield, maybe with um, Gini Wijnaldum and Thiago as a three, considering I don't think we're going to see Jordan Henderson for the rest of the season, uh, I think you will see a far superior Thiago. And on that note, if um, if slash when Fabinho does come back, I don't want to see him anywhere near that central defensive position. I want him in midfield. <laughs> well, let's go on to that immediately then, because obviously next up for Liverpool, it's Sheffield United away, the you know, bottom of the league, but we can't take anything for granted really at the moment. We've struggled particularly against teams in and around there quite a bit this season. Let's go straight to kind of that centre-back question mark. We we put out a poll earlier in the week about what the, you know, the first choice centre-back options should be going forward. And it was um, it was a slight majority was saying Kabak or Kabak and Nat Phillips. And the other option was Kabak and Ben Davis, I think. So a lot of Liverpool fans particularly clearly don't want Fabinho to go back there despite how well he's played. So kind of two questions really to you guys. One, Henderson, who's played centre-back a lot this season, how much of a miss is he going to be if reports are to be believed and that we may not see him for up to 12 weeks, if at all, this season? And two, do we go with um, Fabinho in midfield and just kind of, you know, Kabak, Phillips or Kabak, Davis or whoever it is, get some natural defenders in there and get Fabinho back in the midfield? To answer your first question, Jordan Henderson is a massive, massive miss to this Liverpool team. It's not just his football ability. I, I do think he is a really top midfielder. Um, his passing has come on so much since he's first come into this Liverpool team. And, you know, we know he can score goals if he's been allowed to push up, but it's his leadership. It's how he, how he conducts this team on the pitch, how, what he demands on the training pitch, what he demands in the, in the changing room. It's, it's just going to be a massive, massive miss. And like he said, it's rumoured. The, the club thought it might have just been five games we were just going to miss him for. And then obviously now it's come out that it's the full 12 weeks um, and he might miss the Euros depending on his, you know, his rehab from that. So it's a massive miss. It just doesn't get any easier for us this season. Um, and yeah. to answer your second question, I think you've got to go Kabak and Phillips. Um, that would be my personal choice. Um, I did a piece on Anfield Central for it and why it should be them too. I think with Nat Phillips, I think whenever he's been given a chance this season, he's played really well. I mean, he came on against Everton and didn't put a foot wrong for me. Came on against Spurs, played really well. Played really well against West Ham. I think with the two of them, you've got Nat Phillips, who's good in the air. Yeah. And I think you've got Kabak, who's happy with the ball at his feet. So you've got a mixture of the two there, really. So I don't, yeah, I agree with uh, Max before. I don't want Fabinho anywhere near that, that centre-back position. 
Yeah, in terms of the balance of the side, um, Kabak and Phillips being the centre-back partnership going on is absolutely where it needs to be. Also gives us um, two players at centre-back who are comfortable um, in an aerial duel, um, <laughs> despite how poorly Kabak performed on that score on the weekend. He's usually much more comfortable in the air. Um, I think getting Fabinho back into the six means that they have more protection, means that Thiago can push further forward. It just makes the balance of the team so much better um, if you get Fabinho into midfield and allow Kabak and Phillips to form a partnership. Hopefully, if those two can stay fit, you could have a settled defensive partnership uh, for the rest of the season with Allison to help guide them uh, through the end. It's not going to be Van Dijk and Gomez. It's not even going to be um, Gomez and Matip. But it is a partnership of two centre-backs who can do the dirty work and allow the midfielders to get back into midfield. And on the Henderson point, I agree with every single word that James said. Um, taking his leadership, his personality and his his drive as well, his tackles in midfield and his ability to get the ball up the pitch quickly from midfield um, will be a huge, huge miss for this Liverpool side. I don't think there's anyone in the team who quite matches his sort of all-rounded nature in that regard, not even Ginny Wijnaldum. Yeah, I think we saw before it we went off on the weekend against Everton that there was times where obviously we conceded very early on in the game and you could just see that Henderson was desperate to get the ball at the pitch. He was getting in the centre-back position and then he was driving into midfield. There was times where I think um, Thiago was in the centre-back position because Henderson was like so far forward just trying to get the team at the pitch, trying to instill some kind of tempo into some kind of urgency in them. And I think that's going to be so difficult to try and replace because it is not a characteristic you can have through your footballing ability. It's very much a kind of personality thing. In terms of the game itself, Sheffield United, obviously we know all about a Chris Wilder type of team. One thing that I think having Fabinho in the midfield will help with, obviously, is he'll be more of a shield for that defence. Liverpool's high line has been kind of synonymous with the Klopp style over the last year or two. Do we think that high line might be hindering us a little bit at the moment when we consider that we've had 18 centre-back partnerships this season, which is staggering? Do you think having, you know, obviously that many people come in and play alongside each other when they're not used to it, having the high line on top of that is an extra thing to think about and an extra stumbling block? Yeah, I think it should have been something that should have been looked at um, as soon as Van Dijk and Joe Gomez got injured. Um I think to to change it now at the end of February with 14 games to go and try and teach them now to maybe step take five to ten yards further back, yeah. I think it's quite a big ask, especially for a new young partnership in that yeah. Phillips and, and Kabak. Um, but then again, it's like you say, with Fabinho though, will that high line make such a difference knowing they've got an actual out-and-out defensive midfielder in front of them who has been unbelievable for us since he signed? I think now with Fabino coming in, I think the high line will stick. Um, but like I said, it should have been addressed as soon as the, the two main centre-halves got injured. Something should have been done there and then. Yeah, as, like you can't just switch to a deeper back line now with you know only 14 games left in the season permanently. I mean, may- maybe 
in some of the bigger games, you want to drop a little bit deeper, try and um, uh, get space in behind. Uh, for example, um, when we end up playing Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea, he likes to push his players high um, and maybe we can get a bit of joy from hitting balls in behind um, their fullbacks. Uh, but no, for the majority of it, you want, well, you don't want with slower defenders, but I think a high line is more practical. And also against um, smaller teams, such as Sheffield, with all due respect to them, um, you're, I think you're running the risk if you drop the line deeper of allowing them to play out of the back and get a bit more confidence um, if you drop too Perfect. deep. I think against them, you want to stay high. Yeah. Um, obviously, Sheffield United bottom of the league. They're a little bit adrift. You think that if you know, if you, I was a betting man, I'd probably say we're not going to have them in the Premier League next season. But in terms of the context of this one game, we've seen, like I said earlier, we've seen Liverpool drop points this season to Brighton twice, to Burnley, to Fulham, to West Brom. We seem to have regained this habit that we had a few years ago of dropping these points against the smaller sides. I guess that's just going to be down to consistency overall this season, isn't it? The lack of consistency throughout the team due to the injuries and other issues means that these smaller teams are able to get a bit of confidence and pick up points against us. Do you think that's it, James, or is the fear factor gone as well as that? I don't think the fear factor's gone. I think, you know, it's still Liverpool, European, Premier League and World Champions. I don't think, you know, the teams not fear City as much last season when they were 25 points behind us. I think it's still... The factor still there. I think it's just more of the we've the longer teams stay in the game with us, the more faith they have that they're going to get a result. So you look at the West Brom game, especially. You know, we could have been four 0 up at half time because that's that was the game that started this rut. And we, have, we could have been four 0 up at half time, and we don't take our chances. And then they gain confidence. They bring they brought the striker Grant on up front has put some pace into the game and to get a chance from the set pieces. Newcastle grew with confidence when we were drawing with them. So, yeah, I just think it's not being able to kill teams off early on and then the weaker teams just getting more confidence as, as they're playing us. Yeah, I, I, I think part of the issue is that for, for the lower teams in the division, especially, and I noticed this against Brighton in particular, Brighton have got, what, three defenders who are all well over six feet who really like getting the ball away from the box in the air. And yeah, we were playing crosses from deep to wow. three forwards who are five foot 10 or shorter. Like, yeah. the, like everyone, everyone says, you know, that our fullbacks are like, like this stupid phrase, cross and inshallah. Um, but what it actually is, I think, is that our fullbacks were not pushing high and getting to the byline and drilling crosses across the box. They were doing these deep crosses from deep up from near the edge of the penalty box and doing a cross like that, unless there's space in behind the line for three forwards who are at best medium height against three guys who are six foot two plus is just not going to work. We saw that against Everton, Liverpool's best chances came from when Trent Alexander-Arnold drove to the byline and got the ball back into the box rather than trying to just f loop it onto the heads of Michael Keane and co. Like, it's yeah. just, yeah. Another man who, I guess, struggled a little bit on the weekend um, was Ozan Kabak. Uh, it was obviously a particularly windy day on Merseyside during the derby on the weekend, but he seemed to 
come in for quite a bit of criticism in the punditry box as well as among the fans, particularly due to his inability to kind of deal with the high balls, particularly with that wind as well. I mean, I guess it's a bit hard to, we can't really judge him properly on three games and, you know, less than a month with the squad, but what do we make of him overall the best we, we can really, James? Uh, I think he's overall done all right. I don't want to give him any more praise than that, but I just think it's been a bit of a mixed bag for him. He plays really well against Leipzig in the Champions League, and then he just struggled against Leicester. And he, again, like you said, he struggled, especially with the weather on on Saturday night. I just think it's unfair to criticise him too much because he hasn't played with a natural centre-half alongside him. He's played with Jordan Henderson in every game. And like he said before about Henderson, he's, he's dying to get into that midfield. So sometimes he's just stood there on his own, you know, in, in a back three with the two the two wing backs. But I think it's a bit too harsh to say anything too constructive after three games. But I mean, we all knew you know, from when he was signing, he wasn't exactly blessed with pace. So I don't think anyone was expecting him to run back like Van Dyke. But I think you know a few more games under his belt and. Hopefully his performances get a bit better. Yeah, I I found it hard to judge him too harshly considering he's 20. Um, he's been thrown into a defence with few defenders in it um, and under enormous pressure. Like His first three games, one has been against a top four contender, one has been in a Champions League knockout tie, and the other one has been in the Merseyside derby. These aren't exactly low-pressure affairs. Yeah. Um, I, I, To be honest, aside from the running into Allison, which, to be honest, I think was as much Allison's fault, if not more, than um, Cabot's, I didn't think he played too badly against Leicester. I thought he was excellent against Leipzig. And then I think in this game, he just... Uh, just was not his head was not right I don't think I think his confidence dropped as soon as uh Richardson scored and got in behind him I think his head just dropped um and he started doing silly things I think I think there's something to work with there I think for 18 million pounds or whatever his um his buy is I think for a fourth choice center back I think it's fine um I wouldn't I wouldn't have him as a first choice center back but if you're getting me in as a fourth choice, I have no issues, really. Um, but yeah, I, I think that Jamie Carrier was incredibly harsh calling out a 20-year-old like that, especially, I mean, Carrier's a legend, but he's had his fair share of poor games in um, in big matches before. So, you know, I think a little harsh calling out a 20-year-old on his third appearance with Liverpool without a settled partner. Yeah, completely agree. So fingers crossed, going ahead to the Sheffield United game on the weekend that, you know, we can get a positive performance and a win would be nice, but <laughs> I feel like I don't want to ask for too much, but, you know, at the bottom of the league, surely this is going to be the one that starts, sparks something, but we'll see. Because there's only one game this week that gives us a chance to kind of turn our attention to something a little bit different. Um, we're going to talk about Steven Gerrard for a little bit, which is always nice. Steven Gerrard obviously <laughs> looks like he's on the brink of winning Rangers, their first league title for nine or so years he's obviously the obvious choice on a lot of Liverpool fans list as you know the next replacement for Klopp whenever Klopp does depart on that sad day um just want to have a little bit of a chance to hear your thoughts on his managerial reign so far already guys how easy do we think it is to kind of judge his achievements up in Scotland 
it's not the most competitive league in the world, but Celtic really ha- have had the monopoly over the last decade. So I think it's, you know, absolutely noteworthy for him to win the league there. Yeah, I think, like you say, everyone, as soon as you mentioned the Scottish League, everyone says, well, it's a two-team league and it's not the most competitive. But, I mean, it takes some doing to go up there and to take a team to challenge Celtic the way, in the manner that they have, especially this season. Um, I think was Celtic chasing the 10th title in a row? Yeah. Uh, so it takes some doing to stop that and the way they're doing it this season. I think they only need seven more points and they've, they've math- mathematically won it. So, yeah, I think he's he's done a real he's done better than what I thought he would. I thought going from you know the under 18s that he was with and jumping straight up to the Rangers first team, I thought could be too big of a jump. Um, but no, he's he's impressed me and he surprised me to be honest with you. Yeah, I think um, I think he's been very impressive up in Scotland. Um, I think he uh, so, something that really impressed me was how he reacted to Lille um, coursing Alfredo Morelos so openly um, in the summer because realistically you're going to have to deal with that as a manager at the moment in Scotland and I'm sure he will this summer. Um, I think to the Liverpool fans who are saying he could come in in the short term, I don't think he's I don't think he's near ready. For um uh, for a job of this magnitude, I think it's one thing um, winning in Scotland, which he has done incredibly well. Because Scotland for ages wasn't even a, a two team league; it was a one team league. Yeah. Um, and he he is the first manager to bring Rangers back to anything like what they were before their financial issues struck them. Um, I don't think that he's ready for Liverpool, but I think with a good job as an interim, maybe another Premier League team or maybe even somewhere in Europe, I think that could be a um, I think that could be a great move for him. And I'm really impressed with his job up in Glasgow. Just just on that, I almost think I could take the point, but I almost think he might be, you know, at Rangers, you're expected to win every season. You're expected to win every game you play. You're expected to win trophies that's like minimum expectation for Celtic or Rangers if he comes to a job in the Premier League saying you know um the bottom half of the Premier League like a Crystal Palace or a you know that kind of level of team the the expectation level is going to be not quite the same and I wonder being in Scotland and being at a team where you're expected to win every game and win trophies is would that make the transition to for instance Liverpool easier yeah, I think it would make it slightly easier. I agree. I think, you know, Rangers, as soon as he's gone up, they're, they're expected to win. Like you say, every cup, that's that's up for grabs. They're expected straight away. You know, Rangers fans expect him to close the gap on Celtic in his very first season because of who he is. I think, you know, his deal that he said you know, straight away, soon in his first press conference, he knew about the pressure and he's spoken since he's been there about how he, you know, how he has to deal with it. I think Lampard took the derby job around about the same time as Gerard moving up to Rangers and just look at where they are. You know, Gerard's going for a title he's, and they're doing well in Europe. Everyone forgets how well yeah. they're doing in the Europa League. They've just, they drew 3-3 away at Benfica. They drew 2-2 with them at home. They're about to go through to the next round. Um, I think it does make the transition easier because, you know, the Rangers fans are just, fanatics up there, they live, breathe Rangers and just like us down here as Liverpool fans. So I think it does make it easier than let's say you went to a Newcastle and then went from a Newcastle to a Liverpool where if questions do start to get asked and players do start to drop in form, it's a little bit easier for him to sort of get them in line because he's got that experience under his belt. 
I think the only area where I would say um, you have to worry is that if he left Rangers right now to come to Liverpool or go to any big club even, he has achieved success with Rangers. He's been on a constant upward trajectory, but it is one thing winning the title in one season in Scotland. But can he keep it? Can he... He is going to lose players this summer, I'm sure of it. James Tavernier is probably going to um, be snapped up by someone, uh, given his attacking form. Alfredo Morelos, Ryan Kent, um, they've got players who people are going to be keeping an eye on. And I would like to see him lose some players, because I'm sure he will, and recover and be able to maintain that level of success because he hasn't had the issue with big teams coming along and poaching his players yet. And realistically, that could happen. And that could end up happening at Liverpool. It sounds alien at this point, but it was only, what, four or five years ago we were getting Philly Coutinho just constantly courted. And he hasn't been in that position yet, aside from the Morelos deal, which never eventuated. So I would like to see him prove himself either at Rangers or at another club for another couple of years before I think he's ready to step up. We've already seen what stepping up too quickly did to uh, Frank Lampard's um, coaching reputation. Um, And yeah, I think Stevie's got to be cautious. I also think it'd be nice to see him in an actual title race as well, because obviously as much of Rangers have been fantastic this season, Celtic have really had a horrendous year. They've just um, Neil Lennon resigned today at time of recording. So they're nowhere near Rangers in terms of the league so it'd be good to see how he handles the pressure of being in a really tight title race with Celtic next next season if Celtic do kind of get back to a level you'd expect them to staying on the topic though of Klopp going as much as <laughs> hopefully you've got you know at least three years left of him with his contract that expires in 2024 say he does uh this hypothetical situation that he does leave in 2024 he's said before that he doesn't want to manage way into his 70s like Arsene Wenger or Sir Alex Ferguson other than Gerard, who else would you have on, on that list of person to come in and, and, and replace him? You've got Nagelsmann, who's perhaps the most kind of exciting up-and-coming coach in Europe. What about him or, or someone else, James? Yeah, I think with, obviously, you look at uh, Nagelsmann, it's just his age. You forget how young he is as a manager. It's, yeah. it's in his mid-30s. It's, it's ridiculous how young he is. And he did really well with, it was Hoffenheim at first, wasn't it? And yeah. then at, at Leipzig, I mean, they got to the semi-final of the Champions League. So German, so, you know, have the same sort of philosophy. So I wouldn't mind him. I mean, I had a look today at, you know, who the, the you know, people are speaking around. And an interesting name was Javi Alonso that I saw. Um, he's the second favourite behind Gerard to get the oh, job. God. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a bit of a strange one, that, but. I know he's coaching at Real Madrid C, I think it is, but that, that's a massive step up. But yeah, I think uh, Nagelsmann would be my first choice. But I'd like to see Linders stay on because I don't I don't know if he'll want to take the step up to the, the German national job is what everyone thinks Klopp's going to move on to next. And if it is what he moves on to, um, I don't I don't know if he'd want to go into that. But yeah, I'd, I'd like uh, Linders to, to maybe step up and take it. See, I... I love the idea of Nagelsmann coming in, of being this, you know, young, enigmatic coach who comes in with his charisma and his attacking playing style and everything. But when Jurgen Klopp leaves, he's going to leave such a huge hole in this club. And to have that pressure 
have that pressure is something that Nagelsmann has never experienced um, in his managerial career. And I think that what is needed at Liverpool would be a steady pair of hands, at least for two years or so, just to maintain that success. Someone who's got experience of coaching at the highest, highest level, which Nagelsmann for all his talent doesn't. My pick uh, would actually be of just managers who who are available would be uh, Massimiliano Allegri. Yeah, I think he's got a he's got a bit of a different playing style, but he's used to coming in um, to jobs on the back of a lot of pressure. Juventus, uh, he came in after Antonio Conte and improved them uh, from Antonio Conte. Uh, he's brought through young players before. Um, despite the fact that um, some people are going to be pegged as a purely defensive coach, he isn't. Um, he understands the need for attacking football. Um, he's a fantastically qualified coach. He's coached the best teams in the world. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think he would be a great choice to come in after Klopp. Well, fingers crossed we've got a long, long and successful uh, few years ahead of us with, with, with Klopp. Anyway, because like you say um, there, Max, it'll be... He's absolutely the most important man at the club for me. And I think he's worked obviously wonders from where the team was when he took it over to where it is now. Particularly when you think we've not got an ownership model that will, you know, just give him cash to buy, I don't know, spend 200 million pounds on a defence like certain other clubs in the Northwest. But we digress. Uh, final <laughs> thoughts before we go. Um, obviously, it's great news that football fans will be allowed back in stadiums in May. So perhaps for the final game of the Premier League season, there's been talk that fans should be allowed if the COVID-19 um, rates are, are still low and the vaccination programmes are still going well and all of those types of things. One thing that's been discussed in the wake of that is, as well as having fans back in the stadium, we were actually, it seems a long time ago now, but we were promised a trophy parade for the Premier League title for last season. When it happened, and obviously the title lift um, in the summer, it was mentioned by Klopp and Henderson and others that when it's safe to do so, there will be one of these kind of parades akin to what we saw after Madrid in 2019. But given how this season's gone, do we think we should do that? Because to me, it might seem a little bit forced and commercial. And I just feel like, especially if Liverpool say, for example, don't get in the top four this season or continue to struggle and we finish mid-table whatever it may be, not retaining the title and then having a open-top bus parade with the Premier League title, it's going to look a bit off, isn't it? Yeah, I agree with you. I didn't actually think about the bus parade until... Um, <laughs> until so much has happened. <laughs> yeah, until everyone on Twitter was talking about it after, uh, obviously, the, the news conference on, on Monday afternoon. But I think it could just be what this team needs. It could be... And I'm not saying an open bus parade and people lying in the streets because then you're going to have people in Manchester doing it maybe a week later who have actually just won the league. So it could be a bit awkward to look at. But I think there should be some sort of acknowledgement that Liverpool won the league last year, you know, by 18 points and yeah. finished on 99 points and won it at the earliest stage that any team has ever won it. So I think they do deserve it. And I think it could just be what these players need to get that trophy back in their hands and... To, to act like champions again for the day and have to f see the reaction on the fans' face. But I'm a, I'm a bit 50-50 on it. I'm not 100% sure. Like you said, the commercial side of it, it's 
I, I, I really don't know. Uh, but seems a bit cringe pros and cons. I don't know if that's just me. Yeah, like, I think it depends how it's done. Um, if it's an open top bus parade and it's flash and all that, I think it would be crap. Um, I think it would be crass as well. I think it would be um, just yeah. a way of taking advantage of the situation. Really, why? What, what I would like to see though is some sort of presentation, not driving through the streets of Liverpool with it and, you know, having everyone line the streets. It would just seem, it would just seem half-assed, really, um, in a way. But what I'd like to see is maybe a trophy presentation at Anfield. Um, you know, get, get, like, when you can, bring people back into the stadium. Even if, even if it's when stadiums can actually be full again, bring everyone back in, even have a replica of the trophy and just allow people to celebrate it they've been waiting for this for so long and undoubtedly there will be some crap banter from 12 year olds on twitter um about how like you know about how liverpool is celebrating late but you know what fans have been robbed of the chance to be happy in public about um winning the trophy and celebrating together and why should they have that opportunity taken away from them? I say if they can do it in the right way and not in a way that's crass, then absolutely do it. But you have to do it in the right way. I think the solution is, boys, is that we'll win the Champions League and then we can have the best of both worlds. We can have the, tour, <laughs> have the, the Champions League trophy when we've won number seven and we can also have a little bit on the side just to remind them that we won the league. <laughs> I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we went on to do that anyway. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Uh, that's all for this week. Um, great to have your company as as always, guys. Uh, thank you very much for that. Always, thanks for having us on. Always a pleasure. And we'll be back next week where we'll be previewing the Chelsea and Fulham fixtures, as well as discussing hopefully no more injuries, but all the other news that arises between now and then. Um, in the meantime, you can check us out online at anfieldcentral.co.uk and on Twitter which is at anfield underscore central where we'll be posting all kinds of news and articles and that kind of stuff so until then we'll see you next time cheers guys